Mark chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Some translations, actually some of the old manuscripts say, and washing of couches, interestingly. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Interestingly, that's the only time the word hypocrite occurs in the Gospel of Mark. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it's written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many other things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. And then I love how the NIV translates it, out of his body. The Greek actually says, into the toilet, into the latrine. In saying this, Jesus declared, Mark tells us, all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, from, with, from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So we're going to ask three questions that this text forces us to ask if we're going to deal with it with any integrity. First, what was purity in the law of Moses? Because that's the context out of which the rabbis are working. Secondly, what had purity become in Jesus' day? How were the rabbis understanding the purity laws? And then third, what is purity for Jesus? What does it mean to be clean or unclean for Jesus? So I want to begin with the question of what is purity in Torah. In the Torah, in the Law of Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all of those areas, the Ten Commandments, ritual washing, and food, have to do with purity. Holiness. Holiness, its root definition, means separateness. It has to do with being set apart. And so... To be clean or unclean is the same as to be holy or unholy. To be pure or impure, holy, unholy, clean, unclean. These are all related subjects in, for the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. 
You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You can substitute almost any other word that we talked about this morning. A holy nation, a clean nation, a pure nation, a set-apart nation, a unique nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And then Moses goes and is given the law, which he then proceeds to give to the people of Israel. Now, what I want you to see there is that the holiness, the purity of the people of Israel is rooted in God's election of them. And the reason God wants his people to be holy, to be pure, to be clean, is because God is holy. And what does it mean to say God is holy? What does that mean? The holiness of God in the law of Moses is essentially an issue of God's otherness. God's uniqueness. The theological term is God's transcendence. Now, this is unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition. So the religions to which this is unique now, Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity. The gods of every other religion, they're either part of this universe or part of some dimension of the same reality we inhabit. And because of that, most religions teach you how to manipulate the gods by manipulating the physical universe. That's every religion on earth that believes in a deity of some sort or many deities. All believe that. But God did not reveal himself to the people of Israel in that way. God revealed himself as the originator of this reality, as the creator of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is other than us. God is transcendent. And there's a shorthand way of saying that for the people of Israel, and we find it all through the Bible, and it's this. God is holy. Holy. The people of Israel were specially chosen by God to be his unique spokespersons to the rest of humanity. And their society, their ethics, their daily practices, their rituals had to be living pictures of who their God had revealed himself to be. God was holy. So the people of Israel had to live lives separate from the rest of the nations. They could not borrow their ethics from the world in which the rest of us inhabit. Because God is not of this world. And they were not to be of this world. That's the law. So the laws about cleanliness and purity, they largely operate that way in the law of Moses. So the Israelite people ate differently than everybody else. They ate kosher, we call it today. But they ate differently. They didn't just eat anything they saw. There were only certain things they could eat. They farmed differently. They couldn't sow more than one seed in any plot of land. And they had to let the land lay fallow at certain times of the year. They didn't have a choice. That's what the law told them to do. They engaged in only particular sexual practices. Sex for the people of Israel was for a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. Everything else was considered some measure of unholiness, of behavior outside of the character of God. They bathed differently. Certain times they had to be clean, certain times it didn't matter. And generally they behaved differently than their neighbors. Fundamentally, Israel was to be a unique kind of people 
who lived in a way that revealed the uniqueness of their God. And that's what holiness, purity, was for them. Israel's law and life and customs and practices were always meant to be theological. Purity in Israel was about the revelation of and witness to God's otherness, to God's holiness, to God's character, to God's values. So that's what purity was, and that's what starts this whole thing, and it's why the Pharisees were washing their hands. But something happened, and purity in first century Judaism had taken a twist. It still remained what it was, but it also became something else. And this might resonate more powerfully with us today than the first. We see in verse 5 of Mark chapter 7 these words. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John really, generally, but Mark particularly, reveal that the purity laws of Torah, of the law of Moses, had taken on a slightly different significance in the Judaism of Jesus' day. They were still rooted in the holiness, the otherness of God. But they had become tools of ethical and religious evaluation. Many Jewish leaders had taken the more general purity laws of, of Sinai and they had amplified them. The law of Moses never required the washing of hands before every meal, though it did have washing requirements for priests before they made sacrifices. But the Pharisees had said, well, if it's good for priests before sacrifices, it's good for you before you eat. In Jesus' day, the practical behavior of washing your hands, you all do that, right, before you eat? You say to your kids, wash up before dinner. You all do that. They had filled that with sacred significance out of this desire to be a holy people. But rather than revealing the holiness of God, these customs, whether they were specifically delineated in the Torah or not, had come to represent, maybe even for the most part, Israel's loyalty to God or their personal purity before him. Ethics became loyalty and no longer revelation. What is purity for Jesus? Jesus says this. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. What is purity for Jesus? This is what Sharon Dowd has written in her commentary reading Mark. Furthermore, the Mark in Jesus does not replace the ritual rules of the Pharisees with ethical rules that, if scrupulously followed, would render a person pure before God. In fact, there's nothing in this passage to suggest what steps a person might take to guarantee or protect her purity. Jesus states as a matter of simple fact that people are defiled by the evils that arise out of the human heart. There is no hint that humans might, by some discipline or ethical rigor, prevent or minimize their defilement. Nor does the mark in Jesus redefine clean and unclean in order to establish the principle that no one is impure in the sight of God. On the contrary, he redefines the categories in such a way that all human beings are impure, regardless of their ritual practice or lack of it. I was raised with a fastidious fixation on my own personal standing before God. How pure am I? 
Am I holy? Am I sanctified? Me, me, me. But we miss what ethics are. In the end, they're about God. Christian tradition has always argued, up and down, depending on how it's argued, but it's essentially this, that whatever is good is rooted in who God is. That God is the foundation of Christian ethics, morals. And so ethics are what's best for us. But they're what's best for us because they're consistent with the character of God who created the universe. But it's more than that. The reason for God's ethics, in part, maybe even in larger part, is so that we can accurately reveal who he is to the world. So why are these other behaviors, behaviors evil? They're evil because they misrepresent God. They are not consistent with who he is. God is holy. These behaviors are unholy because they fail to embody who God is. We see Jesus listing here. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. We make ourselves unclean, which means unworthy to represent God to the world. When our behaviors misrepresent him to them. This is what holiness, purity, cleanness has always been about. And Jesus in the New Covenant makes holiness entirely about the heart. And so I think doubt is right in saying that Jesus makes all foods clean and all people unclean. All foods safe to eat and all people unworthy to reveal God to the world. And that is really, really important because there's only one who can accurately reveal God to the world. Jesus, his heart, his attitude, his language, his behavior, his death, his resurrection. Does our impurity, our failures to live out the character and qualities of God, does that not matter now? I'm arguing actually quite the opposite of that. It matters more. What it does mean, though, and Jesus is saying this, is that water, food, laws, customs, traditions, and all that cannot make you holy. They cannot make you clean. They cannot make us pure. Only the one who can cleanse the heart can make us like God. Because uncleanness doesn't come from out there. It comes from in here. Jesus was sent to accomplish this. And the evidence of our cleansing, of our holiness, is the transformation of our heart so we can accurately reveal God. But what about your holiness and mine? Isn't that important? Don't I want to be pure? Well, it's derivative. The goal isn't that you be holy. The goal is that the universe work according to the way God intended it. And for those who are living outside of those intentions, that they can see who God really is. Purity for Jesus is not about us. It's about God. And so Jesus can say that you can summarize the entire law in just two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is Christian ethics. But what that means is 
that our love for God is the foundation of what's right and wrong, and God's love for people is the foundation of what's right and wrong. And everything else Jesus teaches somehow gets summed up in that. Everything Moses taught. And so Jesus at times is acerbic and mean. He was representing God. He never made a mistake. You and I will. There are other times that he lays down his life. There are other times that he washes feet. There are other times that he accepts worship. Jesus is so good at knowing what God needs to be seen as, who God needs to be seen at in any given moment. You and I must learn from him that our ethics are about who God is, not who we are. Do we really want that, or do we just want to be holy? Do we just want to be right before him? Our behavior is always first a question of how the world should see Jesus and God. This is what we mean by Christian ethics. Who is God is the first question of Christian ethics. And so the, the Pharisees had missed it. Not entirely. They understood that a person's behavior revealed God and therefore revealed a person's devotion to God. But what they missed was that what was important is God and not us. This is the ultimate radicalness of Jesus. He washed his disciples' feet. He allowed the world of which, I mean, he says like he could call a legion of angels to defend him, right? But we all know it's simpler than that. He could simply stop controlling things and the world, I mean, the earth would suddenly spiral away from the sun. But he let them kill him. He let it happen. He let his contemporaries think he was a traitor. He let them think that he didn't care about tax collectors and sinners living in sin. He let them think that he was unclean by touching people who had leprosy and other things the law told him not to do. He just didn't care about himself. What he cared about was the lost and about God being accurately reflected. I hope that we can take up the challenge of Jesus. Jesus. 